That threw me off. I had no idea JJ had any NFL affiliation at all. <laughs> it wasn't even for him. It was for a friend. How nice. Hey, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good Name is Brandon, lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. If you're a guest uh, with us this morning, we're thrilled and honored that you chose to worship uh, Jesus with us here this morning and a little bit about who we are. We're a church that strives to be simply all about Him. We want to help people meet, know, and follow Him because when you encounter Him, it's a game changer. And so we're not ashamed of Him. We want to strive to be all about Him and worship Him and give our whole life to Him. Um, and that's why we're in the series called Take It All. We're using 2020 just to help frame our mindset of how do we grow closer to Jesus? How do we give Him more of our hearts and more of our soul and our mind and our strength? And so we are coming into 2020 with this posture, and we're encouraging everyone this morning um, with just the, how do we move closer to him and love him more with our hearts and our minds, souls, and our strength. And so what we were talking about two weeks ago, we were starting out with going, how do we love him with our hearts? Like, how is it possible that we, by our own, can love him more? What do we got to do? Because the reality is, we can't make ourselves love God more. Right, like apart from Jesus, apart from the gospel, there's nothing inside of us that would ever want to love God. There just isn't anything inside of us, according to a flesh and our sinful nature. And so, what we start to understand is like the only way for us to love Him is to first understand and experience His love for us. Anytime we give God more of our heart, it's always in response to His love for us. First John four, we love because He first loved us. Right. And so as we started to talk about this, how do we do this with our heart? We said that the problem isn't that we don't love God enough. It's not that we don't love him enough. It's that we don't know how much he loves us. Our love, giving our hearts to him, is always in proportion to responding and experiencing his love for us. And as we saw, that leads us perfectly into loving him with our soul. Because we got to plant our nephesh, the Hebrew word for soul, our whole entire being, by his living waters, right? Which is a lifestyle being dependent upon him and understanding that he's the good shepherd. And he will lead us. He's my shepherd. I shall not want, right? And we looked at Psalm 1 and understanding that the man who plants himself by the streams of living water, by God's streams, who delights in his word, he will produce fruit in its due season, no matter the external circumstances. And so we said, what does it mean to love God with all your soul? And we said, it's as simple as three words, come to Jesus. You come to him, you yoke yourself with him, you trust him for all outcomes in your life. You are no longer trying to control or manipulate the outcomes in your life. You trust him with that. And so as we do that, we want to learn more about him. We want to learn his ways. We want to learn his heart. And so that's where we come into this about how do we love him with all of our minds. And I'm not sure if you have experienced this or not, I'm willing to bet you have, that a lot of times, one of the fiercest battles that we have as followers of Jesus, just, or even just like as humans, is the battle for the mind. Lies, thoughts, deceptions, things that would tempt us and lure us away. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look through some scriptures. And we're going to go through a few scriptures because I want us to understand what the Bible has to say about loving the Lord with all of our minds, okay? And so if you would, would you stand with me as we jump into God's Word this morning? And I'm going to look at the greatest command is our launching pad out of Mark chapter 12. And we stand really just to show honor 
and reverence to God in his word. That's why we do this. We don't do this out of any kind of religious duty. This is saying, God, we thank you for your word. We esteem it because we know it's from your heart. And so, Mark 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing, Jesus and some other religious leaders, with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, and he asked them, all right, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The Father said, so we come in humility this morning, asking for your spirit to guide us, to lead us. Lord, would you open our eyes and our hearts? We know as best as we can that if it's not by your grace, through your spirit, we could never know your love. If it isn't by your spirit, we could never know who you are, your ways or your heart. So we come and we ask according to the mercies that you have that you would grant us insight into knowing more about who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. There was a season in my life when I hated meat. I know. I hated meat. You got to understand, I grew up with a dad. Love him to death. He couldn't cook. And, and I didn't know this, okay? I just thought this is the way it was. He loved cooking all of his meat, like not just well done, but like extra well done, okay? So at, growing up as a kid, anytime I heard when we would ask, what's for dinner, what's for dinner? And, you know, mom or dad would always say, oh, it's going to be pork chops, or it's going to be steak, or a hamburger, or um, brats. You all know what brats are, right? Okay? Like, I like, literally would have a, like, I would be so re- I would have a knee-jerk reaction. I would be repulsed by it. Like, it was just, I wanted nothing to do with it. I just wanted to run away and just, like, not eat. It was so bad, okay? Like, the only way to consume my father's meat, right, his cooking, anything, was to, like, swallow it whole with milk or water. Like, I don't know if you ever had that experience. So, like, my dad, when he would cook pork chops, there was no flavor to it. It was like gum, You had to chew it for like five to ten minutes just to even hopes to break it down so you could swallow it. It was an exercise of the jaw, right? It was just sitting there and chewing and chewing and chewing. You're like, what in the world, right? And so when my dad would make hamburgers, it was so well done that you could literally use it as a hockey puck. No joke. Like when my dad would cook a steak, you you couldn't even recognize what it was. It looked like charcoal. It probably, it even tasted like charcoal. Like if you would have saw a brat that my dad grilled, you just wouldn't want it, okay? And so like I was repulsed by the thought of having meat and eating meat. Like the burgers were redeemed because I was introduced to McDonald's and Burger King, right? But that's not really a burger, but for growing up, that was our going out to eat. So I was like, okay, I can handle that. Even though I know it's not real meat, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so my buddies um, up north, they were hunters. We hunt up north, okay? Just letting you know, it's not just a southern thing, but we have real deer up north. It's just, <laughs> just saying, okay? Your large deer are baby deer, okay? Just, okay. So they would talk about, like, their deer they would get and the venison, and then the conversations would transpire into, like, 
steak or whatever it is. Like, I, I kid you not, like there's be moments where like, I just had this great steak this past weekend and it was so good. Or I had these ribs and it was so good. And I'm thinking to myself like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, don't you know meat is horrible? Like, I just literally couldn't grasp mentally that meat could ever be good. And so they were like, what's wrong with you? I was like, dude, meat is horrible. So they convinced me to go with them to a steakhouse. Never been to a steakhouse, never opened up a menu and looked for steak on the menu. So when I looked at the steak and I saw the prices attached to the steak, I was literally like, who would pay for charcoal? Give me the money, I'll give you some charcoal. Like, we're, we're good. Like, I had no idea why you would do that. Okay, and so they convinced me to order a steak. The waiter comes, true story, not exaggerating. So I ordered the steak. The waiter asked me the question I'd never heard before. How would you like it? I, lo- I literally looked at him and I was like, on my plate. I, like, I didn't know what to say, like, because I didn't know there were options. I was like, I don't know, cut it up, put it on there, feed me. Like, how else would I want it, you know? And he goes, no, no, do you want it rare, medium rare, medium, medium well, well? I was like, there's options? I was like, okay. I, didn't, I had no idea what it meant. And my friends were like, just, just get medium rare. You'll thank us later, okay? And so, like, what I was used to eating was something nasty like that. What came out forever changed my life. I, I, I was like, what is this? Took that steak. I took a bite. And I was just like, I was enlightened. Like the eyes of my heart were opened, a new passion emerged, and I was a full-blooded meat eater from that day forward, right? Like vegetarians, I'm so sorry. Like you have not tasted the goodness of God yet. Like I'm just, I'm just saying, don't email me, sermon illustration joke, sort of. <laughs> just saying. Like I fell in love with meat. Like, I, I was just like, I was like, okay, I want to learn how to grill. And so that started my journey down grilling, and I wanted to learn the best cut of meat and the marbling and how to do it and the right temperature and how to do it, how fast, how long, and all that stuff. Like, one of my favorite things is taking one of those tomahawk steaks, like the big old bone-in thing, and like grilling that sucker or the searing it and then slow cooking it and then getting it off the grill and then putting some butter on it the moment it comes off. And then, oh my goodness. So good. And I learned the art of like barbecue and actually had ribs and pork that was really good. Like when I moved down here, I got really excited about it. I bought two smokers. I don't even know why. I was just wanting to learn in this. But I needed an experience outside of me in order to understand just how good meat was. Okay. Now, as ridiculous as this illustration is, it goes to serve a point. Apart from Jesus Christ, Apart from receiving the gift of eternal life through his grace and mercy, when you think about God's word, when you think about knowing him, if you haven't received that life, it will be like chewing my dad's pork chop. Why would people do this? Why would you read God's word? Why why would you even go to church? It's hard. It doesn't make any sense. It feels just a burden to do it. And it's not a desire, it's not a want. When people start talking about God, they start talking about scripture, they talk about how good God is, and you're just like, I don't get it, why? Why would you waste your time doing that? We have to understand, we need something outside of ourselves, okay, to open up our eyes to the goodness of God. And it's then and only then, when God gives us the desire to love him, it's then and only then that we will ever have a desire to want to know him. And that's why the psalmist would say, like, taste and see that the Lord is good. And here's what I know to be true. If you have been moved from death to life and received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your spirit is now alive. 
And your spirit is now forever ruined for anything less than knowing God. Your spirit inside of you craves him, wants to know him, speaks to your mind, speaks to your soul. Seek him, worship him, know him, talk about him. But as we talked about last week, we still have the choice of what to do. We have the choice of where we're going to plant our souls, and we also have the choice of what we're going to give our minds to. And so that's why Jesus is so brilliant when he says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. When I was a kid, my parents, they took me to church. Anytime they can get me up and ready, they would take me to church. I was born and raised in a Lutheran church. I was uh, I went to a Lutheran school and all this kind of stuff. Like, I was forced to read the Bible, memorize it, memorize the Ten Commandments, sing hymns, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm pretty sure, without a doubt, that I must have read, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. And for all of those years, because I wasn't walking with Jesus, it never moved me. It never got in my heart. It never made any sense. It was like just chewing really horrible meat. I had no desire. I was like, why would anybody ever want to go to church when they're outside of their parental influence? Why would you do this? Like, it just made no sense. Even in moments in my life when everything was going really bad and I wasn't yet following Jesus, even in those moments because I had a church background, I was like, well, maybe, maybe if I study the Bible and read the Bible, maybe something will happen. And I would try to read the word, but yet nothing still happened because the reality is I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for the things that he could do for me still. And it wasn't until Jesus made himself real to me, when he grabbed me, when he showed me the reality of who I was and helped me understand what he has done for me, that he died for me and he conquered death in the grave for me so that I could live and that he loves me. It wasn't until then that I received that grace by faith as a gift that I was able to love him. And when that happened, I am telling you, I had a hunger to want to know him. Like I would read the word and things would make sense like it never made sense before. And I wanted to read. I wanted to be in the Bible. I wanted to engage. I wanted to talk about him. I wanted to sing about him. But yet, for the last 20 years of following Jesus, there are still moments when my mind wants to focus and think about lesser things. And I start to exchange knowledge of God for something else. We've got to understand, Hebraic thinking never, ever, ever separated the head from the heart. And that's why when you look at the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you don't see mine there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. When the word heart showed up, it was included your mind. Hebrews always thought that your thinking and your feeling and your action were combined. It was never separated. Jesus and the authors inspired through the Holy Spirit bring up the word mind because they're also now speaking to a Greco Roman world that privileges, like they, they esteem thinking and oratory and wisdom and all this kind of stuff. And they started to create these philosophical systems of separating thinking and feeling. And here's the sad reality. That has crept into the church. 
We tend to separate our emotions and what we feel and you know, process towards God that way, and we separate that by how we think. In fact, if you were to look at the church landscape, generally speaking, you can see two different types of churches that would either lean really heavy towards the emotions and not too much on the truth, and then there's going to be some churches that lean way heavy on the truth and not heavy on the emotions at all. And that's the danger. Jesus never taught the difference, never taught separation between thought and feeling. The Hebrews never had that. They never compartmentalized it. We got to be careful of separating it. That's why sometimes in the church world you hear preachers say like, you got to have more than head knowledge. You can't just know about it. It's got to get into your heart. Right? It's very dangerous to have a faith that's all emotion-based, all about how you feel. That's very manipulative. We work ourselves in a frenzy, and some people would say, I met with God. And you go, well, how did you meet with God? I felt him. So if I don't feel God, I didn't meet with God. Well, which God are you really meeting? The God that never changes? Because if he never changes, then what does it matter how you feel? And so we focus so much on the emotions at the detriment of the truth. But at the same time, we're like, there's people in this camp are like, it's all about the truth. We don't want emotions that get involved in our faith because we don't want that to manipulate the truth. But you can't separate it. Because what we're going to see is that the mind informs the heart and they're together. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. That image of the heart includes the mind. It's not just your feelings. It's not just your desires. It's thinking and feeling. And it's really dangerous when we base everything based upon emotions, and it's equally as dangerous when we base everything upon fact. It has to be both. And there has to be a balance in there. The Hebrew word that is used often when it comes to knowing God is this word yatha. Last week, you learned nefesh. Here's another Hebrew word. There you go. This basically is the word to know. And it's not the knowing of an intellectual exercise. It's the knowing of intimacy, right? This is where you get this idea of like in, in Genesis that Adam knew his wife, Eve, right? He knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived intimacy. But it's not just that act, but it's also knowing the depths of who she is. So when the Hebrews and the Bible talks about knowing, it never just leaves it over here in the academic. It immediately goes, yes, it's knowing factual, but it's also then plummeting the depths of the relationship, okay? And so if we were to look at some scriptures like in John 4, when Jesus starts talking to the woman at the well, the, woman, the Samaritan woman, he goes, listen, the hour is coming and it is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Simple. Let, let, let me just make this simple. It, it's the spirit involves the heart. The truth involves the mind. It has to be equal. You cannot separate. To lean towards one more than the other is dangerous. And it doesn't matter which way you lean. Okay? It doesn't matter which way you lean. It's both. How can your heart, let's just, let's just think about it. How can your heart not be moved 
when you get a glimpse of who God is? How can your heart not be moved when all of a sudden it dawns on you that he became nothing to die on the cross, nailed for you, when you could care less about him so that you could have life? Like, how can that not move you? When you see the beauty and the glory of God, how can that not move you? Nor how can you just like be so focused on the emotions which are so fickle that move anytime the wind blows that you're not captivated by the knowledge and the glory of who God is and the complexity and the sovereignty and the majesty of who God is. Like how can that not be intriguing? It's worship in spirit and in truth. Like Jesus was really clear to those like the Pharisees who are more on the head side they wanted to focus on the law and the commandments and all these types of things. Like if we were just to jump to John chapter 5, I'm going to skip this part here. In John 5, he says to them, he's like, listen, you guys diligently search the scriptures. Like you're in the word. And all on appearance, it looks like you're searching after me, that you're trying to know me. You're searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And they started to create their own system above and beyond what God required of them. And Jesus makes it crystal clear. And it's they that bear witness about me. Now look what he says. Yet you refuse to come to me. Like they're in the scriptures. They got it memorized. Like if you were to talk to one of those guys right now, they could rehearse the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like they could, they could just spit it out at you. They knew it. And Jesus is saying, you miss it. It's about me. And this is the same three words that we talked about last week. Come to me. Not to a religion. Not to an academic study. Come to a relationship. Know me. Not just things about me. But I'm going to give you the ability to know the depths of who I am. Jesus would say that this is eternal life, that they may know you. That's the head and the heart combined together. So how do we love God with all of our mind? We need to first and foremost understand something about how the mind works. The mind is the gateway to the heart. They're connected but it's in the heart where we discover what we truly worship, but the mind is the gateway. Worship can only come from revelation. We only can worship what we know, right? And, and so we worship whatever it is that we are constantly thinking about because the mind is the gateway that gets into the heart. And if we were to analyze our heart and search our heart, we will discover what's there and what we worship. And if we were to reverse engineer that, go all the way back up from the fruit to the root, we will discover what our mind is fixated on. So we've got to understand how this works. Worship is what we give devotion to. We, we esteem it. We think about it. We pursue it. And the gospel is clear. There is not one person, not one person who desires to know God. Not one. There is not one person that goes, oh, I want to learn how much God loves me apart from the Holy Spirit. Our sinful flesh is repulsed at the idea of knowing God. Our sinful flesh wants to revolt against anything and everything because it thinks 
that is like chewing a really bad pork chop. It's repulsive to our sinful nature. And so we need to understand that nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind. Okay? There's nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind. And Paul talks about this clearly in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and on. Paul, in this, in this passage, he's speaking to believers in the city of Rome. And in this chapter, in this moment of his epistle, he's helping them understand what it was like to be a non-believer. And part of it, they're going to recall what it was like, but he's also speaking about people who yet don't know Jesus. And look how he talks about the mind in a thought life. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay? That is an important phrase right there. They suppress the truth. Look at this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, everybody knows God exists. That is what scripture teaches. Everybody knows that God exists. God has made it painfully obvious that there is a God. But left to their sinful nature, they flesh, we suppress the truth, right? Now look how he describes this even more. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Like all we have to do is look at creation. They'll start to see the eternal qualities of God. Like they'll start to go, surely something had to have started this. Surely someone has to have designed this. All people know that God exists, but left to our sinful nature, we suppress the truth and we choose to not acknowledge him, to deny him. And as Paul says, we exchange, right? We exchange the glory of God for something else. They knew God, right? Look at this. Everybody knows God exists. Everybody. They did not honor him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. In other words, God's like, if this is what you want, so be it. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's just be honest. There is really no one who seeks God. So a lot of times when like, we use words like seekers, it's kind of misleading because those apart from Jesus, they're not really seeking, they're running. They might be seeking the benefits of God, but they're not seeking who God is. Everybody knows and everybody chooses to exchange that knowledge for a lie, to think about lesser things. Now, this doesn't mean that people can't be smart. You can get a PhD and still be dead in your sin. Like, this is just simply saying, I'm not going to acknowledge him. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to ignore that he's even there. I'm going to choose to not want it. I'm going to just suppress the truth. I'm going to worship man-made things. I'm going to think about other things. I'm just going to even create a thought system that says there is no God, which is the greatest denial. 
This is all of us before Jesus got into our hearts. Here's what's a little scary about that. Sometimes, even though our hearts are made alive, we still do this. Are there not moments in your life when you don't want to acknowledge him? Where you don't want to honor him? Where maybe you exchange the glory of the mortal God, the ability to know him, and then to pursue and entertain your mind with lesser things? The mind is the gateway to the heart. And this is important to understand because there are consequences to what we think about. Paul's like, listen, if you're going to do this, you're going to become futile in your thinking. In other words, you're not going to understand the things of the Spirit. You're going to miss the reality of this world. Your hearts are going to be darkened. There's going to be turmoil and unrest and, and, and hopelessness in your heart. Don't be surprised by the results of your life. Because what Paul is trying to get at is saying, listen, you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. And it starts in the mind. What goes through the mind enters the heart. And that's ultimately what we give our heart and our lives to. So here's what's beautiful about what Paul does. All the way from Romans chapter 1 to the end of chapter 11, he starts talking about the condition of humanity. That apart from him, we're dead in our sins. We don't search after him. No one looks for him. No one thinks about him. We repulse him or we're repulsive. He's repulsive to us. We deny him. We suppress him. But yet, he still sent his son. And yet, he still loved you. And yet, he still made a way. And when we receive this gift through faith, by his grace, right, that we're made alive and there's nothing that could ever separate us from his love. We're more than conquerors. And then at the end of chapter 11, he moves into chapter 12. He's like, okay, great. Therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, and to me, that's the most important line, the little phrase here in these two verses. According to the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like, give everything you got back to him. Just take it all, Lord. Take it all. This is your reasonable act of worship. But look what Paul says next. Do not be conformed to this world. What Paul is kind of saying there is like, hey, if you're thinking about the world and it has grabbed your heart, you are going to be conformed into the image of this world. You will become like that which you worship. So don't be surprised by your behaviors. Don't be surprised at the turmoil of the emotions and the peace in your heart. Don't be conformed. Rather, be transformed by the renewal of your mind or the renewing of your mind. In other words, that's your choice. You now have the ability to choose what you're going to conform to. Before you had no choice, now you have a choice through his Holy Spirit. So here's the question. How do we renew our minds? And more often than not, in the church world, we will answer this way. Got to get in the Word got to be in the Bible. Study the Bible more. Memorize the Bible more. Get it in your heart. Yes. 100% yes. But let's not get the cart in front of the horse. Because we got to understand, it starts with mercy. It starts with grace. And so here's the first thing. We need to remember and understand. We need to pursue the gift of being able to know him. 
What is the greatest command? Here's the greatest thing you can be about. Love God with everything, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. And the only way that can happen is if God, by his mercy and his grace, goes, I'm going to put inside of you my spirit and give you the desire to love me. I'm going to give you the desire to give your soul to me. I'm going to give you the desire to want to know me. It's a gift. The greatest thing you can be about in this world is knowing Jesus. And I know right now as I'm talking about that and you're hearing about, oh, the application is getting the Bible more. Some of you are like, that's like chewing pork chops. Give me a glass of milk so I can swallow it down. And you're like, really? How is that possible? I'm praying for you and I've been praying for you all week that God in this moment would open your eyes to taste and see how good he is. But we need him to do this. In fact, If you were to look at Paul's epistles, his pastoral epistles, writing to all these different churches, I don't have the time to read all these passages. encourage you to write it down. And and here's a great way, um, great thing to do with these verses. Get in a small group. Join a small group. If you haven't been in a small group, this is your time. If you've been in one before and you stopped being part of one, here's another time for you to get into it. Shameless promotion. (laughs) There's groups in the back. You can join one this morning. Anywho. So you get into these verses, look at these verses, because what Paul's going to say, he's praying over and over and over and over to these churches. In Ephesians chapter 1, he's praying that God would open their eyes to see and to know all the good things they have in Christ Jesus. Paul's like, they can't figure it out on their own. Holy Spirit, would you do it for them? He prays later in Ephesians 3 that through his spirit, the power of his spirit, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't figure this out on your own. God, would you give it to them? He prays in Philippians chapter 1. Father, God, would you give them knowledge? I pray for you that you would know him. In Colossians, I pray that you would know him. Paul's praying. He's like, listen, it's a gift. And the only way you can know who he is is if God chooses by his grace to reveal more of himself to you. Just like we said, We want to know how much God loves you. Sometimes we just have to ask him, how do you love me, God? And sometimes when we struggle about knowing God and having a hunger and a desire to be in his word, sometimes you just need to ask. Paul, Philippians chapter 3. Love this passage. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Here's a guy who experienced a medium rare steak. It's coming back. See, I'm making full circle. He's not just saying this to stir up the religious attitude in people, to get people in the word. This is his life. He's like, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what pain I have to go through. If God would grace me just with a little bit more of knowing who he is, I will take it for all the world. (laughs) Knowing him is surpassing. There's nothing better, nothing greater that we can be about. When we know him, guess what happens? 
we become conformed to the image of Christ. We are no longer being conformed to the ways of this world, but we are now being conformed to who Jesus is. You become like what you worship. So pray, church, pray that God would give you a greater understanding of who he is. You can't just muscle it up on your own. You can't just get in here and go, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I was like, who has known the mind of the Lord? Like, who has known the Spirit of God besides the Spirit? Ask. All theology has to be done at the foot of the cross. It all has to be there. Humility, dependence. You can't just pick this up and figure God out on your own. You need him to reveal himself to you. And he will do it. So church, I want to address something that is very important for us in our time and in our culture. In order for your mind to be renewed, you have to accept this for what it is, the word of God. This is not words of people, opinions, philosophies. This is God's inspired, holy, infallible word given to us as a gift. That's why Paul, he rejoices in the church in Thessalonians. He's like, listen, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you didn't accept it as like our words, as our opinion, as our thoughts. No, you accepted it as a what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers and work in you who believe because the word of God is alive and active. It's a person. It's Jesus. Folks, you've got to accept it all. You can't pick and choose what is true or not true. That, that's, that, that's not for you. You can't be like Thomas Jefferson and start to cut out sections of Scripture and go, I don't like this, I don't like that. Um, I don't know if God does miracles, so I'm not going to believe any of that. Scratch it out, cross it out. Paul gave Timothy, a young pastor, a serious warning that I think we need to be very aware of today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I don't, I don't agree with this section of Scripture. I'm not going to go to that church anymore because they do. I'm going to find the church that believes the way I believe. And a lot of it deals around with the cultural trends. We've got to accept it as it is. And it's good. It's living. It's active. And that's why James says in James chapter 1, put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness. And a lot of times that deals with just pride. And receive with meekness or receive with humility the implanted word. Because when you are alive and the spirit of God is inside of you, the Bible says that the word is now planted on your heart. It's implanted inside of you. Receive it, which is able to save your souls. Then and only then 
and you take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Then and only then will you be able to discern what is truth and lie. Then and only then, like Paul says in Romans 12, will you be able to discern God's good and pleasing and perfect will. The problem isn't that we don't love God enough. The problem is we don't know how much God loves us. It is truly that simple and yet that difficult. So how do we love him with all of our mind? Pursue the gift that God has given us through his spirit to know him. And I'm telling you, when his spirit opens your eyes and your hearts to seeing him, and when you begin to hear his voice through prayer and his word, you will be ruined for anything less. Even when you exchange the glory and the truth of God for something less, your spirit will say, stop, turn, repent, seek him. That's his goodness. Then you'll be able to say, your love truly is better than life. Father, I thank you for your word this day, this morning, that it really does speak to our, the depths of our hearts. God, I pray that we would become lovers of your word. That it would become, like you say, honey to our lips, to our tongue. That it would be sweet. It would be refreshing, living water. That we would learn more about who you are and, and see you correctly and, and take the truth and knowledge of who you are and let it penetrate our hearts and have our emotions and feelings captivate us in, in worship. Lord, we don't thank you enough for the gift of your word. You literally have done everything in your power to bring us close. So Lord, I just pray for those in this room who struggle with Scripture, who struggle with trying to know you, Lord, that they would just surrender that and ask your Spirit to open their eyes and their hearts. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would have the posture like Paul and just go, man, whatever it takes just to learn more about who Jesus is. If I have to share in his sufferings to do that, so be it. If I have to lose things to gain more of him, so be it. Lord, I ask that we would be a church that would hunger after your truth, that would worship in spirit and truth, and that we would never compromise the integrity of your word. May we never exchange the truth of who you are for a lie. So Holy Spirit, would you be jealous for our souls? We pray this in Christ's name.